0: This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast.
1: Welcome to Tales from the Halifax School for the Blind, an AMI audio original podcast where we explore what everyday life was like inside this legendary institution. Over the span of 112 years, the Halifax School for the Blind was home to thousands of blind and partially sighted children from Atlantic Canada and beyond. Join me, Terry Kelly, and my fellow former students as we take a trip down memory lane, reflecting on formative experiences and cherished memories from our beloved alma mater. Love is in the air in this Valentine's edition of Tales from the Halifax School for the Blind. Gina McAllister, now Jean Hills, reflects on first crushes, school dances, and the historic day of the fence that for decades separated the boys from the girls finally came down. Fred and Gloria Haynes share their love story, which began when they were both students at the school over 60 years ago still very much in love fred and gloria joined us by phone from their home in halifax nova scotia born in moncton new brunswick in the mid 1940s gloria berry spent the first decade of her life at home with her parents two brothers and two sisters her journey to the halifax school for the blind was somewhat typical
2: at that time in 1956 all work at school was done with a blackboard so i would come home complaining to mum about that and the problems I was having at school and my eye specialist suggested that uh, mom and dad would send me to the school for the blind. Uh, I was 11 years old uh, in 1956 and very excited about the fact that I was going to go away to the school for the blind until the day that mom and dad brought me to the school and we had a tour of the school and then the time to say goodbye came and Dad started crying, and, of course, that did it for me. So that was a tough time for a few days of loneliness. The first morning that I got up, though, my first problem was that my mom always told me what to wear every day to school. And now I had to make decisions of what I was going to wear. I had a lot of vision. I was probably about 10%. I wasn't registered at the CNIB. So I could see better than a lot of the girls at the school. So it wasn't a problem for me to pick out my clothes as far as knowing what they were. It was just that I was used to my mom always saying what to wear.
1: Fred Haynes had a much more unusual journey to the Halifax School for the Blind. Born in Fredericton in 1942, Fred's family moved to Woodstock, New Brunswick, when he was five years old. Fred went to school and enjoyed an ordinary childhood at home with his parents, two brothers, and two sisters. That is, until a tragic accident set Fred on a course for Halifax.
0: I was born with a twenty twenty vision. And in 1951, my brother and a couple of friends found a empty gasoline barrel that we took home and put in our backyard. And we were going to play with it, calling it our beer barrel and our saloon. So I was elected to look in the barrel and see if it was clean. We couldn't find a flashlight, but we found a box of matches. And I got up on top of the barrel, lit a match, and went to look in the hole. And, of course, the fumes hit the match and blew up in my face and threw me about 20 feet across the yard and burned both eyes. And I spent uh, two years in and out of hospitals. The uh, field secretary came to our house and Told my parents that I should be going to the school for the blind. So, off I went in fall of 1953. And because of the uh, conditions at the school, the bullying was three three guys that were sort of picking on everybody and uh, that they could the younger ones anyway and taking their possessions and abusing them physically. When I went home and told my parents, they said, "Well, you're not going back." So, actually, they were kicked out. I think. Uh, the January after I left so they, they were only there a month or so after but we didn't know that so they my parents didn't want to send me back to the school not knowing what what to expect so I stayed at home for almost 5 years before I returned there was a retired teacher on our street and she agreed to uh, school me in her home so I really had didn't have any formal education it was a little uh, scatty at that time. And then when I was 16, I decided I didn't, uh, I I was making uh, money by delivering papers and doing odd jobs and I thought that's no future in that. So I decided on my own to go back to the School for the Blind, not having a formal education. I had to go into a special class and the uh, teacher that I had, Miss Bradshaw, She had around nine students in that class and everyone, of course, was at a different level. So it had to be one-on-one. So that was a very slow process for learning. And one day, Mr. Leg, the principal, said, how would you like to fill in some of the time in the tuning department? So I did. I said, that would be great. And went up to the tuning department. And after two or three months of that, decided I really liked it and the next year when I returned, I was
1: on the, in the tuning
0: department full-time.
1: After a false start at the school when he was 11, Fred's second try was the charm, thanks in large part to finding a home in the school's piano tuning department. Over 62 years later, Gloria still vividly remembers the day she caught wind of a 16-year-old boy who had arrived at the school fresh off the train from New Brunswick.
2: Well, I remember the very night that he arrived, I, I, we heard right away. I heard right away that a new boy had arrived from Woodstock, and I perked right up to that one for some reason. But he didn't show any interest until 1960. We were going home at Christmas time on the train, and he finally approached me and started talking to me. And I thought, oh, this is good now. When, we, when I go back after Christmas, Fred and I will start being an item. But not so. He didn't pay the least, least bit of attention to me, except maybe a hello in the hall as you have probably heard from former students, everything we did, we had to line up. So the girls would line up on the girls' side, the boys on the boys' side, and you would go across the corridor in that way. The boys on the right, the girls on the left. And I would always be so anxious to see Fred and make sure that he saw me and say hello to him. But anyway, it didn't happen until nineteen like maybe the spring of sixty one he started showing a little interest and then sixty two and sixty three was the real we really wanted to see each other all the time, which meant at the School for the Blind that we did it on the sly. And uh so we found different places to go. One place we would meet would be the top floor of the music department. It used to be practice rooms, but when they cut out some of the piano students, they changed those rooms into study rooms with a table and a chair in them. So that was one of our places to meet. And uh, the only time after supper that I would see him, I would make an excuse to go over to the school building because I forgot a scribble of or, or my homework. And uh, of course, I was hoping to see Fred along the way someplace. But it didn't happen that often, but occasionally and then, well, in 1963, the fall of 63, we had drill every Tuesday and Thursday. We called it drill at that time. But And I had to be the last one to leave because I would make sure that everything was closed up in the gym. And uh, the gym teacher at that time was Mr. McGarity, And I would wait till he left. And then I would meet Fred someplace in the hall for a few moments of uh, kissing and all that that we enjoy doing. And I'm sure my friends knew what I was up to, but really didn't discuss it much. I always felt bad about that. In one way, I felt bad. I was more interested in Fred, really, than my friends at that time, of course. But we made very special friends at the School for the Blind. I mean, after all, we were together 24-7, and the uh, the girls, we always we have always said that we were like sisters, you know, because of the, the time that we did spend together. And to this day, I have many friends from the School for the Blind, and it's wonderful that we still feel the same.
1: One of those sisters was Jeannie McAllister, who had been living at the school for two years by the time Gloria arrived. Prior to that, Jeannie spent half a year in school back home, but struggled to keep up. As glaucoma had taken most of her vision. School superintendent Chesley Allen traveled to Fredericton and spoke with Jean's parents about the rich education his school could offer. And so, in September 1954, seven year old Jeanie would leave her parents and brother Dave behind to catch a train bound for Halifax. Jeanie McAllister is now better known as Jean Hills, one half of Two Hearts Content, a musical duo. With her husband, Don, Jean joins us by phone from her home in Orillia, Ontario. Like Gloria, Jean fondly remembers how it felt to suddenly gain 20 new siblings.
3: I was overwhelmed, I must say, by having probably 20-odd sisters too. I think there were probably about 20-odd of us in the junior side at that time. And uh, it was somewhat overwhelming. But, we adapt, you know we we really did i I was not the only new one there, and we all sort of you know started making friendships uh uh it was difficult. I think I cried a lot. We had a wonderful supervisor miss Miss Connors. she was fantastic, and she did her best to comfort us because a lot of us did cry <laughs> and um I think all of us had to do more self-care, if you know what I mean. Uh, We were all lined up for our hair brushing in the morning, and we were all advised to, you know, take care of our own clothes. Things were cleaned for us, of course, but we had little cupboards to manage our own clothing. I've never done that before. Uh, The long trek to the dining room was uh really interesting uh first year it was not a very nice dining room the second year they made a new one for us juniors um it was my first experience eating pasta (laughs) but um by the time the second year came along probably a couple of months into the second year i had then lost all my vision So things were a little more difficult for me. The first year, I spent the first semester, you know, from September to Christmas, in Miss Miller's kindergarten room. And uh, yes, we had a tortoise. That was all we had as far as animals were concerned. And I did have to go to the kitchen to get the uh, food for the tortoise. And I was absolutely terrified of the cook, Miss Woodworth. Second semester, I was put in the grade one class because at that point uh, they realized I had to learn Braille. And I had Miss Bradshaw, who was an interesting woman. I was with her also for the first part of the second year, the third part of which I was put in the grade three. So I did kindergarten, grade one in one year, then grade two and three in another year, second year. Then at that point, I was no longer uh, at the end of the second year on the junior side. And um, I was pretty happy to move because we did have one supervisor that I really did not care for. And I don't think she cared for any of us either. And I've had some unkind words over the years about her. I bear one of her scars to this day. That would have been the repeated smack on the side of the head with a hairbrush every morning. It was a matter of routine. That's what she did. She brushed her hair and you're done. Next, brush that one's hair and you're done. But it was that clip on the side of the head and there's still a bump there. (laughs) I don't think she was a very uh, maternal person. Um, I do remember another odd thing that I was terrified of so many stares. Because, gosh, you know, we didn't have any in our house. (laughs) And I was terrified of so many stairs. But also, uh, because of where I came from, very poor circumstances, I was quite fascinated by flush toilets. (laughs) This is silly, I know. But it it was
1: my early years at school. Although intrigued by the indoor plumbing, the boys didn't hold much interest for Little Jeannie. I went to the senior
3: side when I was nine in grade four, and uh, boys didn't interest me too much because, remember, in each of our classrooms, the boys sat on one side and we sat on the other, and I didn't pay much attention to them. I was more interested in learning to read and write Braille because that was a big thing for me. And uh, it wasn't probably till I was maybe... 12, maybe 13, that I started uh, looking at boys uh, in a different way, as, as girls will t- today. I mean, puberty is puberty, no matter where it happens.
1: <laughs> if you, the listener, would humor me for just one moment, there was once a huge fence stretching from the school building all across the property, deliberately separating the girls and boys. During my time at the school, there was one lonely, massive 12-by-12 pillar bolted to the brick wall with no long fence to threaten potential young love from blossoming. But for generations of students before me, the fence stood as an insurmountable barrier to young love and romance. At around the same time the Berlin Wall was erected, the Halifax Wall was torn down. Jean was there in the schoolyard. That glorious day when the boys and girls were finally free to mix and mingle.
3: Well, this fence separated the entire school grounds. It was uh, attached to the back of the school uh, where the school grounds began. And it went right down probably within a few feet of the, the end of the actual playground. And the boys were on one side, and we were on the other. Well, at about 1960, and it came down, I would have been about 13. Oh, yes, indeed. And we were then allowed to not only talk to the boys through the fence, but we were allowed to kind of walk and mingle with them, heaven forbid. And uh, I think you could have uh, seen several couples hand in hand walking up and down the girls' walk and across the bottom of the uh, school area uh, up the boys' side. And it was quite exciting for us, although I never really understood why it was there to begin with because it came down about the time that I started to notice boys. Over the subsequent years, of course, you know, you would have the usual teenage angst about this man or that boy, I mean, and another boy. And there was a lot of little puppy love uh, things that went on. Not very, (laughs) not very serious. I think over my teenage years, I may have had a crush on four or five different boys at uh, different times. I mean, these Fantasies and love, puppy love things weren't always returned, but (laughs) that's the way it is with with all puppy love things, I think.
1: For Gloria and many others, now that the fence was down, it was time for puppy love to flourish.
2: Well, I sure do remember it because it was quite exciting the fact that the girls could now go over to the boys' side and the boys could go over on our side and we could go walking. Uh, uh, you know, that gave us the freedom to walk around with the guys or carry on with them and whatever. So that was very exciting when the fence came down. One thing I remember about the boys, in the classroom, there were long tables. Under the table, there was a shelf that went from one end of the table to the other course, and they were divided in sections. And that's where we kept our school books. And every once in a while, there would be a bar after recess, because at recess, if you had the money, you could go. They, they would sell chocolate bars. And just once in a while, I found one in my, in my deck. And that would mean that some guy kind of liked you. And that was his way of showing it, only we never knew what the, who the guy was. It wasn't me. <laughs> no, it wasn't Fred. So I don't know what that was about.
1: While Fred and Gloria only had eyes for one another, Jeannie experienced her fair share of teenage angst. I remember buying a valentine for somebody. And, yes,
3: we did exchange cards and uh, that sort of thing. And, of course, it was all, you know, a bit of teenage angst around it. There were very few couples that stayed couples. I know there was Fred and Gloria. That was a match, you know, that was very special. I think we all thought that. And then there was um, Emery and Corrine and unfortunately emory was killed a year or two after the uh, school after he left school but uh, then there was um, eddie and marie harnish and they they stayed a couple and and married i don't know if there were any others that lasted then um of course There were the school dances and who dances with who. And I saw so-and-so dancing or heard them dancing with so-and-so. And and that would be talked about, of course. We had dance lessons, you know, ballroom dancing, foxtrot, uh, a couple of other cha-cha and something else. I can't even remember. Oh, gosh, a tango. That's what it was, which I wasn't very good at. But then, of course, we were teenagers in the 60s. So we had to, of course, do all the other dances. The limbo was was one of my particular favorites because I was good at it. During these dance lessons, of course, we danced with the guys. It was always uh, nice if you danced with one you fancied, if you know what I mean the school put on some nice dances. Uh, There was a Christmas dance. And then of course there was the Valentine's dance. That was always a wee bit odd because of course we weren't supposed to have girlfriend, boyfriend, all that kind of stuff, which we did. Uh, And then of course, Valentine's, (laughs) it kind of accentuated that. And then there was the year end dance, which was usually in sometime in May, early May, I think it was. Now, The first few years we would have, uh, we had a nice jazz band. It was the Pete Powers band with uh, lots of wind instruments and saxophone and it was all pretty nice. But we kind of talked the powers that be into, don't fall over with this one, record hops. You know, that's what we wanted. And of course, it was the twist that came in that we wanted that kind of music and you know, Danny and the juniors, and and we got it. You know, they were good about it. They, they 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 arranged it so that we would have these record hops, which was,
1: you know, really, looking back, it was pretty cool. For a young couple like Fred and Gloria, a school dance was the perfect time to get close without much scrutiny from the school authorities.
0: I remember the uh, school dances at the school when, when Gloria and I started showing an uh, interest in in one another, that uh, that was very exciting because we were allowed to actually stand up and dance and put our arms around each other, which out on the school grounds, I think we were watched very carefully that we didn't, we weren't supposed to make any physical contact. It was fine to walk around the school grounds, but not holding hands or or hugging or anything like that. But the school dances, of course, like I say, we could we could dance waltz. You could actually hold each other. So that was very exciting.
1: But when there was no school dance on the calendar, you'd have to find other opportunities to get quality time with your sweetheart.
2: In '62, when he he you know when we would go out in the yard, for instance, he would always look me up, and we'd always walk together. That was at noon. We only could go outside at noon and during the dinner break, and after supper uh, until it got dark. And of course, in September or October, it started getting dark early, so we didn't get out much after supper. But there were lots of ways that we were together. We were invited to go bowling at Fenwick Lanes occasionally. The older students would go there, and, and so we'd be on teams. And Fred and I would be hanging out together the whole time at the at the bowling alleys and then eventually that turned into a regular bowling teams at the YMCA so we went bowling every weekend at the YMCA and also we had swimming at the Staticona on Saturday afternoon so we would see each other there in 1963 uh, well, actually, Fred told me he loved me the first time in december sixty two but in thousand nine hundred and sixty three I thought I was going to go home for the summer, but a friend of mine in Halifax needed someone to babysit because she was going to work for five weeks, so I came to Halifax and babysit for her as her husband had to go to away on a course for five weeks, so that turned out wonderful for me because Fred and I were able to spend the uh, summer five weeks of that summer going out together. And then in the fall, in September of '63, the piano tuning teacher had died earlier that spring, and so they decided that uh, they were going to give Fred his diploma before because they, you know, he had.
0: I had. I had worked all that summer at at a music store called Finney's. So when I went back to resume my course, they decided I had enough experience. And training, so they gave me my diploma, so I left.
2: He was leaving and getting his own room outside the school. I got permission from my parents to go out on dates with friends. So finally, we didn't have to see each other on the sly at the school because I was actually allowed out with him on the weekends. Uh, At that time, the girls and guys, we were not allowed to have anything. We could go out in the yard and talk to each other and that type of thing. But there was no way that they encouraged dating, or uh, they discouraged it because one of the reasons we always, I had always heard was they were afraid the girls would get pregnant. Of course, that would be their number one, and they were responsible for the girls at the school, of course. And the second reason I had heard was that the a lot of the students' eye conditions were hereditary, and they wouldn't encourage the girls and guys getting together and having children that they could pass their eye condition onto and in Fred's and my case i was just nearsighted when i was born that was my main problem at that time and i knew from the doctor that the eye doctor that if that was not hereditary and of course fred has explained that his eye condition was from an accident so i don't think that they actually minded fred and i being together because i'm sure they would have spotted us different times when fred and i would meet on the on this lie, and they never discouraged it. And In fact, in 1963, at our closing exercises, Fred and I got the character prize. So, which you know we were glad to get, but we were a little bit surprised. The character prize had to do with how you related to the students at the school and with the
0: with the staff as and well. And
2: staff, yes. So we both got the character prize.
0: Very odd that it went to the two of us. I was saving. We, we thought we were bad characters.
2: Yes, the fact that we were, you know, sneaking around trying to see each other, um, so it was a surprise that Fred got the character prize for the boys, and I received the character prize for the girls at closing. That was quite a surprise. But I'm sure they understood. Of course, they understood that that was a normal thing. So I think they overlooked it a lot with Fred and I. And when I got permission from my parents to go out with Fred, there was not there was there was never a problem about it.
1: With the fence down and teenage hormones in full swing, what's next for Gloria, Fred, and Jeanie? Join us next time for tales of the Miss Personality Contest, the Boys Club, and all the best makeout spots at the Halifax School for the Blind. This podcast was recorded and produced by Village Sound at the Village Sound Studios in Halifax, Nova Scotia, for Accessible Media Inc. Created and produced by Ryan Delahanty. Tech assistance from Sam Robertson. And many thanks to Andy Frank, manager for AMI-audio. Special thank yous to all of our storytellers, Shirley Trites, Joanna Pierce, and staff at the Atlantic Province's Special Education Authority. This podcast is proud to support the APSE Auxiliary Charity and invite you to do the same. Contact them by emailing auxiliary at apsi.ca. That's A-U-X-I-L-I-A-R-Y at A-P-S-E-A.ca. Our deepest gratitude goes out to Robert Mercer, whose book, Mrs. Beaton's Question, inspired this podcast. Finally, thank you to all the wonderful teachers, staff, and house parents at the school. I'm your host, singer, songwriter, professional speaker, Terry Kelly. If you enjoyed our show, please do take the time to subscribe and write us a review. Most of all, we would love to hear from any former students who are invited to join us in sharing their tales from the Halifax School for the Blind. Reach us by emailing halifax at ami.ca.
0: This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit ami.ca.